Welcome to the Contractor Success Map Podcast. I'm your host, Bradley Hart, and I'm an expert on how you can get the most out of your contracting company. The reason I designed this show is to help you turn your contracting company from a people-dependent money pit into a process-dependent cash cow to have the freedom you dreamed of when you start your business. Every Friday, we're releasing podcasts with information to help you get the most out of your contracting company. Be sure to join us at www.contractorsuccessmap.com and subscribe to receive our latest articles and special offers. And the best part, it's all free, just for you. Hello, and thank you for joining me. My name is Randall Lee Hart. I'm your host here at the Contractor Success Map Podcast. And today we have a very special guest. His name is Jason Sturgeon. He's a construction business development expert. Jason has worked in the industry for over 20 years, managing several high-end, detail-oriented projects, including the Amazon headquarters and Chihuly Garden and Glass in Seattle, the Trump Tower in Toronto, Ontario. Now, during those years, he discovered that his real passion is working with people in the systems that are the heart of any business outfit. From building custom contract, I'm sorry, from building custom tracking tools and revamping information technology systems to streamlining the organization of human resources. Jason has a tried and true record of building infrastructure on any job that makes it easier for everyone involved to succeed. But that's only the beginning. In his travels, Jason has come to understand that a well-trained workforce is the answer to great retention, high efficiency, and synergy that makes everyone excited to come work in the morning. Over his years of managing high-profile projects, Jason has developed a training system that made his projects the envy of his organization. And now, yours can be too. From understanding the nuts and bolts of contracts and conflict resolution to the psychology of running a great meeting, Jason can bring your team up to speed and help you run your business like a well-oiled machine. Well, Jason, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Jason, it's a real pleasure. I'd like to, if I may, with your permission, I'd like to ask you a few questions and kind of help the audience get a feel of what you do. Is that okay? Absolutely. Jason, can you tell us about your background and how you came to be where you are now? Sure thing. So <clears throat> I, I think that everybody has a story that that sort of paints the picture of, of how they got to where they are. And mine started from from very humble upbringings. Uh, I grew up in, in the middle of a cornfield in Indiana, and while I was growing up, uh, I, I learned what hard work was, and from the age of 15, I started working with my brother, who was running a roofing and siding company at the time, and uh, worked summers for him in that process, and I saved that money to go away and, and pay for my college. And I took a break from college at about 19. I was a little frustrated and trying to find my own way and came back to him. And my brother was pulling his hair out, hair out, and he couldn't quite understand what he was doing wrong in his business. At 19, I didn't have any formal training as far as how businesses should run or what works well or what doesn't. Uh, but he said, I'm so frustrated. I just can't figure out how to make any money. And I said, well, you don't really have anything to lose at this point. It's it's only up from here. Let me take control of your business for six months and see what I can do. So I'm going to be the executive decision maker in this process, and we'll see what we can we can shake out. Over the course of six months, 
my wife and I had worked on that business and we quickly grew from three employees to 13 employees. We purchased three new company trucks that were bought and paid for. We purchased a piece of property that uh, we had developed plans for building an office um, for, that, for that company. We developed a training system, a raise-based system, and we were up and coming as, as one of the, the most notable uh, and reliable roofing and siding companies in, in our area. Now, Jason, again, can I just, can I stop you for just one minute? Sure. That, that's phenomenal. I mean, you went over that pretty quick. And I know that there's people that are listening to the podcast now are mesmerized. Can you repeat that again in what you did in six months that a lot of companies don't do in six years or 60 years? Sure. You went from three? Go ahead. Repeat that three. if you would, please. So say it again, but slower. Yeah. And say it again, slower. This is very important. Sure. So at, at, uh, at that point in time, I mm-hmm. offered to my brother that – because he was frustrated and couldn't figure out how to make any money in his business, right. he was he was running up against several brick walls. I said, let me take a stab at it. Let me see what I can do in six months' time. And sure. he agreed to it because he didn't have anything to lose in the process. And in six months' time, we started with three employees and we finished with 13 employees. And those employees weren't just the run-of-the-mill employees. There were several that were hand-picked who had – good leadership potential and who were, were being groomed for those leadership positions. So, so you increased the staff by 400% yes. in six months. And yes. you did not just bring bodies on that could fog a mirror. You brought on quality staff, 400% yes. in six months. Yes. That's, that's amazing. And, and on, I please. think, it, so the roofing industry stereotypically has can be known for having pretty rough uh, employees, pretty rough grade of employees. And, and mm-hmm. the reason for that is because it's hard work. It's really oh, difficult yeah. work. It's hot work. The hottest work I, I ever did, it was 110 on the ground, and oh, it was likely 130 on the roof. Mm-hmm. The, the coldest day I ever had, it was 30 below. And that's, oh, my for, for the people who don't know about that, that's when it's too cold to snow outside. Wow. So it's difficult to find the right kind of people who are willing to go and do that hard work, dangerous work, heavy lifting involved in that work. And I believe that, that and, and one of the things we'll likely touch on further in the podcast, is, is a founding principle of my business and of the core of what I do, a core philosophy piece, is that mm-hmm. everyone has gifts. We can all have a conversation about where these gifts came from. We can have a conversation about the source of that and the accuracy of that. But sure. I believe that every person has one to three gifts. And these are things that they're distinctly gifted at, that they do better than 95% of the people that they'll ever know in their life. Oh, now, now we're getting ahead, but that's good stuff. Understood. So you, you, you went but, from three to 13, 400% yes. increase. And then you said something about you, you bought, some, bought and paid for some trucks? Yes. But, but the point that I was getting to with, with the, the gift is that one of my gifts is I believe that I can read people very easily. Mm, if, okay. I, if I listen to a person talk for roughly four minutes 
then I believe that I can understand their their intention. I believe mm-hmm. I can understand their educational level, their intelligence level. I believe I can understand their morality and, and what motivates them. And I've actually been tested on this a handful of times, and I've left the people feeling sort of dumbfounded that I, that I was able to read them that quickly. So the reason why that's relevant to this conversation is because I believe that was integral at that point in time, even at age 19, to finding those, those people who had that high level of potential. Excellent. That and that was, that was directly related to, to finding these people who are capable of being leaders in the organization, whether it's today or, or several years from now. Okay. Well, this, that's excellent. Let's move back to your background. So you were sure. saying that you worked with your brother mm-hmm. and you did some phenomenal things. Yes. And okay. so tell us some more. Sure. And so we, we went, we purchased three new company trucks that were bought and paid for in that time. Uh, roofing can be very lucrative if it's managed well and managed properly. Yes. So we, we purchased all of that, the, the new fleet for, for that purpose. We had actually purchased new tools for, for all of our new crew members. So that was a significant expense. Oh, we, yes. We uh, purchased a piece of property on, on a main strip that, that was available, and we built a, a shop yard, uh, fenced it in, and, and brought in a bunch of gravel and staged our trucks there and had temporary outbuildings. And then we were drafting plans for our office. Hmm. In addition to that, we developed training modules. We developed a promotional structure within the company. We, and, and the reason for this was that one of the, the challenges in, in that specific industry is that it's very tough to keep people. Uh, it's very tough to retain them. And by mm-hmm. developing a very tangible, accessible raise structure, it gave employees the power to determine how much money they make. And mm. by, by giving them that power to be able to learn skills and demonstrate their ability to perform these skills, if I can have an employee who is self-motivated and self-directed to become more proficient, and it means that I will pay them more money, but in turn, they make the company more money, that's a win-win situation. And oh, those are the situations perfect. that I that I look to facilitate and to build in, in every situation. I love it. We also built a, uh, a healthcare structure so these are folks who likely never had health care before, and during that era, there was no requirement that anyone have health care, but we provided it to our employees. And this was sort of unheard of, especially in the area and in the industry. Um, but it was important to us, and it developed loyalty and enabled us to retain the more skilled people. Excellent. To boot, we had wads of, of petty cash, or Oftentimes in roofing companies, you'll have a, uh, a petty cash jar that, that whether you have a cash job or whether uh, it's just in the process of going to the bank, um, it's, it's kind of the rainy day fund, and the rainy day fund was very comfortable as well. And we were, we were going along very well. At the end of the six months, my, my brother, he's my older brother, and he had a little bit of insecurity about that situation, that his younger brother came in and, and really transformed the entirety of his company. Uh-oh. 
<laughs> so if any anybody knows anything about family businesses, this this uh, is prone to happen. And so at that point, he he moved to sabotage the business a little bit and made some mm. uh, tax-related business de- decisions that I couldn't stand behind. And mm-hmm. at that point, I decided to to go out on my own. You're not all hat and no cattle. You understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. And a whole bunch of them really want to go from that salt of the earth to professional. And that's why I had to stop you because three is a magic number. Mm-hmm. They have three employees. They hear this all the time. i got three employees. I can't find good people. Mm-hmm. And when you say you want three to 13, I just had to because that, that's gold. That's gold right there. Mm-hmm. As we move forward, I'm going to get your contact info. And I'd like you, I'm going to ask you about that three and 13 again mm-hmm. because that is gold. You know, not everybody's going to want to talk to you, but quite a few. I think there'll be a few that are going to want to chat with you because mm-hmm. that is so important. Okay, when I start think, up again. I think, sure, sure. Yeah. And I think the the uh, that's that's one of my my key skills is taking those people from from their current size organization into the organizational size that they they want to be in. And so I I'm, I'm the coach to move that <laughs> the the what contractor with the with the cocker spaniel to the salt of the earth and i'm there to move the salt of the earth to to the next level and on and on and um, by by understanding those high level big operational processes how those things work fundamentally it it enables me to do that yeah it does Okay. okay so so moving on from from the family business i went to work for a uh a single family home contractor and he was uh, he was the best carpenter I've ever known in my life, but similarly the worst businessman I've ever known. And the first thing that he'd asked me to do was come in and resolve a dispute for him where he had a multi-million dollar contract with a, a homeowner, or but there was no contract. So oh, no. He, was, he was building a home. There were no plans. There were no specs. Uh, there was no contract. And wow. they came to uh, an impasse so they stopped talking to each other. Mm-hmm. The contract wasn't done working, but the owner was done paying and everyone mm-hmm. was frustrated. So this was my first real project management or general general contractor style project management situation where my job was to come in and resolve the dispute between the two. And at the time I was um, building homes for, for the general contractor as his project manager and came in to resolve the dispute, I quickly assessed the situation and brought those two folks to terms that everybody could live with and moved on and we finished the project. But for that general contractor, as I was going to college, I learned carpentry, I learned how to build cabinets, I learned all sorts of things under the sun as far as how to physically do this stuff. And for his business, I would take clients from him. He would hand me the clients. I would collaborate with the clients on a design and design the homes. I would mm-hmm. draft the estimate. I would draft the contracts from scratch um, initially and would order the materials, get the materials out onto the site, run the guys for, for building the projects. Um, when they're falling behind on a Saturday, I'd throw my bags on and go out and, and help them out. I would interface with the, the building inspection departments and um, make sure that, that we're to code compliance, get them permitted, uh, get them punched out, and hand them over to the client. So it was a, 
an important time in my life where where I had the opportunity to work on the next level of scale. Uh, mm-hmm. Really, really enjoyed that time, and gave my my uh, boss six months notice that I was leaving. I completed my project management degree at Purdue University and sure. told him that I was leaving. He didn't want to talk about it. He <laughs> and, uh, he just ignored it, and until the the end, he said, "Are you going to hire your replacement?" So I go and I hire my replacement. But we had the kind of the relationship where when I left. Um, I, I brought my family to see him when we were leaving. Everybody was in the U-Haul truck headed out to Seattle, and and he was in tears over it. Oh uh, no! We we had that kind of relationship where he he offered to build me a house, um, and and just give it to me. But he offered to build you a house? Yes, but I but I wow. he said I'll give you a truck, I'll give you a house, whatever you want to stay. And I said, you know, I really feel like it's important that I I give my kids something a little different than what I had. And I had two interviews. I had an interview with Selen and an interview with Lee Scratcher Lewis and mm-hmm. offers from both and ended up going with Lee Scratcher Lewis. And worked there for, for a good number of years. I, I performed uh, uh, myriad different services for, for uh, Amazon, worked on Amazon headquarters for two years or so and a couple other projects before the economy went downhill and mm-hmm. um, then went out to Trump Toronto because they, they needed some American ingenuity out there and I was happy to throw my hat in. I was running $80 million out there and responsible for three of, of three direct reports. Um, and that was a great experience, very fast, fast paced experience in some places in the, in the project, we were billing $10 million a month, and I was responsible for, for going through the billing process as well to make sure that everything squared up. Wow. Uh, so then, um, and in, it, in that capacity, I, I really started to, to build teams in a different level than I had before and started focusing heavily on employee development and understanding that that it's more important what your employees want for themselves than what you want, because I feel like it's my responsibility to get those people there. But uh, after that, I, I worked in, in Trump Tower until my uh, wife said it was time to go. She wanted to come back to Seattle and was feeling a bit homesick. And we went back to Seattle and I worked for Shoecart. We built Chihuly Garden and Glass. We had eight months per contract to build that project. No one in my office thought we could build it faster than nine months. And we brought that project in seven months and three days. And we brought it in seven months, three days, and we had a single item that was 55 days late on the critical path. But we're still really? able, yes, but we're still able to beat our schedule by three and a half weeks. Oh, uh, we, amazing. We earned full fee at, at the end. There was a, an early completion bonus, and uh, and we gave some money back to the owner at the end of the day as well. Oh, that's great. So it was a, an excellent, excellent project. I ran a few more projects for Shoecart. And more, moreover, the what I was coming to is that project management is something that I do enjoy, but mm-hmm. I felt continually stifled by the, the idea that I want to build teams. I want to build people. I want to influence them, and and essentially it comes down to making them happy. 
giving them the tools and capability and comfort in their own personal and professional lives to be able to to more wholly and completely contribute to the world in the big picture. So in, in that situation, it was always my number one priority to build my team, my team. And, and yes. I took ownership of that project. I took ownership of that team in the case that, and I've helped people before. Uh, I, I had one person who, who decided he wanted to be a stand-up comic who worked for me. And I really? Him, yes. And at the cost of losing someone, I helped him get there. I helped him <laughs> land, his, land his first gig because uh-huh. it's more important to me that you're doing what you're being called to do than it is that you're doing what I want you to do. Right. And when you, when you recognize that people, that, that these individuals, they have their own wants and desires, what you need to do, and that goes back to the gift conversation, that these people, they're distinctly gifted at a certain number of things, and so many of them aren't being utilized. So by recognizing what those gifts are and finding, finding ways to get them into those positions, and for me, if I can, then they're so much more productive, they're so much more fulfilled, and they're so much happier. Uh, and, and because that was the way that I operated with my teams, I, I generated a tremendous amount of loyalty. I generated a tremendous amount of, of fulfillment uh, among my team members. During my, my last project for Shukart, we had a, a topping out party, which is pretty typical. And we, it was a five-story building, steel, mm-hmm. steel structure. And for our topping out party, we flew our company truck onto the roof and, <laughs> and had a rooftop barbecue. It had a, a professional photographer there shooting it and had a tow-behind barbecue behind the truck and cooked oh, barbecue for everybody. Wonderful. When people asked us, why, why is there a truck on the roof? Our response was, well, how else are we going to get the barbecue up here? <laughs> That's good. That is good. And it's, it's by having those out-of-the-box thoughts and out-of-the-box uh, team-building exercises, essentially. Mm-hmm. That's the way that you develop your team. That's the way that you develop camaraderie and spirit and make sure that those things are singing along the way that they need to be. The, the difference between a positive team and a, and a poisonous team, it's night and day. And so yes. by, by building that culture in, in the spheres that I have the ability to affect – that is, is, I believe, the secret to, to big-time success. So after, after going through that process, I was, I was continually frustrated by the idea that I'm trying to affect this change on a bigger scale, and there's a resistance to allow me to do that. Every time I attempt something new, it's successful, and it goes really well. But the challenge, and, and you've mentioned it before as far as uh, certain contractors being resistant to change, dragging their feet, or, or afraid of doing something a little differently. Uh, that was something that I felt like I was really running into. And again, decided to go out on my own and um, see what I can do by myself. And what I found is that the types of service and the types of support that I'm providing with my professional and, and personal background, the, the fact that I have experience in the trenches and have experience in, in, at a collegiate level and the fact that I can speak to all uh, walks of life, the fact that I care about 
bringing success to everybody individually and not just for my personal gain, but for their, their spiritual personal benefit. Um, that's something that, that I believe makes me unique. And I'm continually thankful that, that all of the trials and all of the hardships that I've had in my life have brought me to this place where I can, I can affect that change for other people. So you've had some character building experiences in your life. Absolutely. Well, you know, let, let's segue. This is great. Uh, Jason, I, I really am enthused with this. But I'd like to segue into, we've kind of started a little bit. I want to get help the audience get a feel of what are some differences between you and your competitors, other people who do similar work what you do, but what are the differences that you bring to the table? Sure. <clears throat> so I think that's a, that's a great question. The I think some of the pieces that really make me different, and I'll, I'll get to those, but I guess the first piece is initially when I went into consulting, hmm. many people tend to just dismiss consultants and think that, that they're bottom feeders or, or have these negative associations with them. When I was a roofer, my, my first goal was to break that negative stigma that roofers often carry. By, by providing them a different level of service, something that they don't expect. And similarly with general contractors, they, many general contractors have a negative stigma, um, and I fought to combat that. And mm -hmm. likewise in consulting, we have a negative stigma, and I help to combat this in, in a number of different ways um, because I feel like I'm different. And the reason why I'm different is first and foremost, because that's what my clients tell me. That's what my prospective clients tell me. When I meet with a potential client and they say, you know what, I typically say no. I typically won't even talk to people like you. But there's something about you that's different. There's something about you that, that is not the same as what everybody else provides. There are very few people who actually do what I do with the, the breadth and background that I bring to the table. And I also have a very salt-of-the-earth, um, down-home demeanor. I'm very mm -hmm. folksy and very plain-spoken. Likewise, my contracts that I write are plain-spoken. We don't have to overcomplicate things. What we want to do is find the most efficient path from start to finish. And so one of the places where I'm significantly different from my competitors is I have real-life experience in the trenches. I know what it's like to carry up two bundles of shingles up a 20-foot ladder. I know what it's like to, to work very hard for something that you care so much about personally that has the ability to make or break your family. I, I know what it's like to, to be very frustrated and fearful that your project's not going to be successful in a project management setting. I've been a subcontractor. I've been a general contractor, and I've acted as owner's rep in a number of different situations. And because I have that full sphere of understanding of the system, I can tell you definitively what works well and what doesn't work well in the process. And I think the second piece that's most helpful and most differentiating between me and competitors is the fact that I bring transparency to the process. Many of the people that I talk to, clients, potential clients, their experience with other consultants is that a whole bundle, a whole gaggle of consultants will come into their office and, and look very busy and give them something that they don't really understand. 
complete with a, a very expensive bill, and oh, they don't yeah. really know what happened. Oh yeah, that's that's something that that would frustrate me, and I'm sympathetic to that. And my process, and I'm sure we'll talk about that later, mm-hmm. is to bring crystal clear clarity to every step of the process. They should be in control of the process, and this this fundamental piece. Is, is kind of, it comes from the idea that as a contractor or as a subcontractor, I need to give my client control in the process. If I'm a subcontractor, oftentimes subcontractors will try and bury or hide costs rather than share that information right away with the general contractor. Right. right. It, it's the wrong thing. It's the wrong path. The most correct path is to share that transparency and keep them in the loop every step of the process. That process is no different between general contractor and project owner, and that process is no different between consultant and client. It's, it's the exact same thing. So my job is to make sure that they understand the process, they understand where we are, where we're going, what's working, and what's not working. Jason, I, I love this. I, what I'm really hearing is that you're not just a academic consultant. You are somebody who has actually been on the job. You've swung a hammer. You've hauled uh, bales of material over a 20-foot ladder. You've been in the trenches. You know what's going on. And this is important to the to all of our listeners on this podcast. They really need someone of your capability and your service. They just want to know, have you walked a mile in their shoes, or in your case, 400 miles? Right. That is That is fantastic. And one of my one of my favorite anecdotes <clears throat> from from my general contracting life is oftentimes I would have subcontractors come into my office and bring me a problem, and they would say, "This doesn't work or this can't be fixed." And I would look back at them and I would say, "Well, how about you do it this way?" And they would say, "You can't do it that way." I'd say, <laughs> "No, you can do it that way," and and go out there and do it that way. And they would say, no, it can't be done. And I said, okay, give me your cock gun or give me your tin snips or, or give me your brake. And I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do it myself. <laughs> Nine times out of ten, they would, they would put their tail between their legs, turn around and go and do it the way that I told them to do it. And it worked. And mm-hmm. then the, the 10% of the time that they didn't immediately turn around, I would take the tools and I would go out in the field and I would show them how to do it. And when, when I would do that, that 10% of the time, when I would actually go out into the field and show them how to do it, they would never bring me a problem like that again. And they would never <laughs> resist uh, taking my direction from that point again. So that, like that goes to, to, to the, I understand what happens in the trenches. I understand it conceptually. I understand the legality of it. I understand um, whose responsibility these things are. So I, I understand it every single section of that process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, that's fantastic. Well, I, I, I'm satisfied. I understand a huge difference between what you do and your competitors. It's just huge. So can we delve into, um, and we have this a lot already, can we delve into what problems or issues your service solves? And we've done a little bit, but can we get a little more in-depth? Sure, absolutely. <laughs> so I think... In, in the big picture, specifically as, as a project manager, I think that um, 
project managers or, or let's say good project managers are not just project managers. Oftentimes, <clears throat> project managers don't get all of the support that they need from their office, and yes. they find themselves in, in situations where they have to improvise. So project managers aren't just project managers. They're accountants, they're HR, they're legal, uh, they're, they're PR, they're safety, they're mm -hmm. cheerleader, right? And being cheerleader is super important in that whole process. Uh, they're, they're IT. All of these pieces are required in order to have a resoundingly successful project. And I've always been the person who, who wants to learn everything. Everything that comes across my desk, I see it as an opportunity to be better than I was before. And sure. with, that, with that background and with that understanding, I believe that there are very few problems that, that my service doesn't solve. I think that, that if, I had to, if I had to simplify it, is that I fix problems and I make people happy. Those are, mm. those are two key components that, that are integral to any successful business. We have to be, if you, if you, any stranger on the street goes and asks my kids, I've got two kids, and if a perfect stranger walks up to my kids and says, hey kid, what's rule number one? Both of my kids will pipe up and they'll say, own it. Oh, I love it. Own it. Does that love mean? It. That means we're going to call it out for what it is. We're not going to beat around the bush. We're just going to, to call it out and shine some light on it and figure out what's working with it and what's not working with it. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> rule number two, if you ask my kids, hey, kids, what's rule number two? They'll say, say I'm sorry and I'll never do it again. Right. So this is in the context of if something didn't work right or if I've wronged you in some way, I'm going to apologize. I'm going to own it. I'm going to say I'm going to make make it right with you and I'm going to tell you I'm not going to do it again. And rule number three is never do it again. Easy. And if we take those same practices and put those into problem solving, we should not be afraid or bashful about what the outcomes of the problem is going to be. We should, we should own that process and we should get into that process and fix it. And so many of the problems that, that we deal with on a daily basis and contractors deal with on a daily basis is the product of fear of not, willing, not being willing to address the problem on a level playing field. Um, so I come in and I help you, I teach you how to do that in the case that, that you're not super skilled at it. And nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Um, but, but the first step to, to being better is figuring out what the problems are and how do we fix them. And the second piece of that is uh, that we need to make sure that everyone in the process is fulfilled. Everyone is, is satisfied. Everyone understands where they are in the big picture and that they understand that their place matters and their position matters. So ultimately, when we talk about making people happy, what that means is I want every single employee on the planet to be in a place where they're fulfilled, to be in a place where they're productive, to be in a place where they're profitable, because profitable is, is an unavoidable result of being happy and fulfilled. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and many people don't give that a lot of, a lot of service. 
So <clears throat> one of the, um, an example of that is I'm interviewing, I, I perform interviews across a company and one gal was having a, a problem where she was having a language barrier issue and she was, she understands English, she can read and she can write English very well, but her coworkers were having a, a perception issue with understanding her. And because of that, there was a, a little, I would say the, the beginning of something bad, the beginning of something not positive. And I went and researched and found her, her accent coaching opportunities and recommended that the company pay for it because it's very inexpensive. And it would come across as a sign that, that the company cares, that the company is invested. And yes. it, just the, the mere conversation and suggestion of it, it was like a light turned on in their head that this is a great opportunity where we can demonstrate our commitment to this employee and we can help her become more fulfilled and more happy and more productive in our business. And I look for all of the unconventional, out-of-the-box opportunities to solve problems, not for the purpose of making them complex, but because oftentimes it's the, the solutions that we haven't thought of yet. Those solutions are the best and those solutions are the most simple. It's just that our brains haven't been able to process those yet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, that makes perfect sense. It really does. Well, let's move on to the next section, and I think we've, we've touched on a little bit, but mm -hmm. uh, what, what are the three things a contractor should consider when hiring your services? Well, I believe that, that everyone should be – I think the most important thing that, that a contractor should consider is are they ready? Are mm. they ready? put in the hard work? Are they ready sure. to, to look at the things in their company that are not so pretty? Many of the, the uh, we're, we're all guilty of having ego. We're all guilty of hubris. We're all guilty of thinking or, or believing that we're better than everybody else. Mm -hmm. Most often though, it's not that we really believe that. Most often that's a product of fear. It's the product right. of, of the idea that we're uncomfortable with the situation that someone else could know something more than I do. We're right. uncomfortable with the idea that someone um, will understand that I'm not perfect. I think that that, that is, is a huge problem in our society. In order for my services to provide a specific benefit, and if we're talking about overhaul, um, in, in a business, they need to be willing to look at their, themselves in a mirror. They need to be willing to understand that, uh, that they're not perfect. And that's okay. They need to be able to do what my brother did when he recognized after nine years of running his business uh, that he didn't understand something. And I, I give him high high marks for that, that, that he acknowledged that he wasn't okay um, and, and the process wasn't okay. Many of my clients are the people who come to me and say, I just want this business to be something a little bit more than it is. I want it to be a little bit bigger. I, I can't figure out how to, to take it to the next level. I can't figure out how to take it to the next step. 
And it's those people who truly understand their, their weakness or truly acknowledge their weakness, but maybe we don't even understand it. Those are the people who are more prepared. And that is something that I learned within the first three months of going out on my own for, for full-time consulting is that that's something that now I'm very upfront about. I'm very mm. serious about because I will tell every single client, I will fire you long before you'll fire me. I will fire <laughs> you. Um, if, if I feel that this process is not moving the way that it needs to, I'll feel if I feel that your commitment level is not sufficient to actually benefit you, I'm not going to let this go on. And I've, I've fired clients in the past for this and I won't hesitate to do it in the future. And part of the reason for this is because of my loyalty to the clients. I don't want to take their money if I'm not providing them a benefit. I don't want to waste your time and my time. I want to be effective. That's, that's mm -hmm. why I, change my my role and change my career is because I want to be effective that's what gets me up in the morning and it's a scary thing to to understand that you're not perfect and it's a scary thing to understand that there's a mountain of work that's coming up but the the second thing that they need to understand that my clients need to understand mm -hmm. is that while this process is big and scary and it can be ugly they're not alone I'm here with them I'm here to, to make sure that they have a partner, to make sure they have a confidant, to make sure they have an advisor. Um, I have people who are, who are old enough to be my, my grandfather who I'm advising them on relationship issues. I'm advising them on personal relationship issues because oftentimes those relationships will impact their business. My clients aren't alone in that process, and it's important that everybody feels like they can trust me and everybody feels like they, they truly have a, a resource and, and the resource that I bring is, is something different from any resource they've ever had before. I love it. The third piece is that when my clients believe in me and when my clients believe in my services and invest in my services, I return that investment. I think the, um, one of the, the training sessions is, that I provide is that we need to understand why people do what they do. What is their, what is their motivation? I'll ask people this, and it takes them off guard almost every single time. Say, why did you come to work today? Well, because I came to work yesterday. No, no, no. Why, why do you do what you do? Well, because I need a paycheck. No, no, no. That's not it. Why are you here? You could be anywhere. You could be somewhere else making more money than you're making right now. Why are you here? And it's important that we, we answer those questions and we think about those questions. The reason why I'm here, the reason why I do what I do is because I'm invested in the process. I wake up every morning uh, excited and eager to figure out how can I help the next? How can I, how can I um, make the situation better? How can I reduce someone's stress? How can I, how can I make this change that, that um, people want so badly but don't quite get? And one, one example of this is I have a client, very good client, um, went to, to a company picnic and half a dozen people there gave me hugs when I showed up. Um, oh, wonderful. Because, because that's the kind of relationship that I like to, to inspire. These are 
we're, I feel like we're more than friends. We're, we have a deeper relationship than that because I see these people in ways that, that they've rarely been seen before. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're performing a full-scale revision on, on this business, and the owner calls me up. It's uh, Tuesday, uh, Tuesday night, 6 o'clock. My laptop's closed. I'm going to play with my kids. And he calls me on the phone, and he's in a panic, and he says, Jason, I have a, a pretty significant project. It's a public project, and the owner has asked me for a walkaway number. Oh, and a walkaway number, right? A walkaway number. What what that is for people who aren't familiar with it. Hopefully, you're not. Is a walkaway number is the sign from the owner that he wants you off the job. He's planning on firing you, and mm. it typically involves changing money, exchanging money. Um, and so the owners communicated to my client that he wants him to leave the job. It's a high-profile project. Uh, lots of money on the table, and he calls me up and he said, the owner gave me a walkaway number. I don't know what to do. Wow. What did you do? Well, I I immediately asked him to send me the contract, send me a copy of the contract, send me a copy of the schedule, send me uh, any relevant email or correspondence that, that figures into this conversation, and I'll be at your office in the morning. So I worked for a handful of hours that night going through the documentation, and then I showed up at his office at 7 o'clock in the morning. And by 8.30, we had drafted a response to the owner, formal response, and the walkaway number that he came up with was 35000 The walkaway number that I came up with was 156 Quite a difference. Quite a difference. And furthermore, I said, I can sit right next to you at the bargaining table and justify every penny of that because that's what you're owed. And I said, furthermore, you're not behind schedule. The schedule is late, but every bit of that schedule delay is associated with the owner. It's not associated with you. Uh-huh. So this notion that that you are on the hot seat because of, of mistakes that you've made, it's not correct. And I can defend that as well. I was walking out of his office after that morning, and he said, you know, I I made a lot of bad calls on this job, a lot of bad decisions, but the best call I made was calling you. you. When you compare that kind of feedback and that kind of appreciation to any other feedback that most people get in their lives, that's why I do what I do. That's why I get up in the morning is because that's what I want to bring to the table. That's how I want to invest in my clients is, is giving them that control and that power and that self-assurance, that intelligence to be able to properly manage that situation. The, the uh, best part of that story is that they just wrapped up that project about two weeks ago. Oh, they, excellent. And they earned full fee. The, the relationship got back on track uh, and, and there were no disputes at the end. And that's my goal, is that I want to to train contractors, subcontractors, how to do better, how to to perform these services. And I have many general contractors who will call me up and say, get in contact with the subcontractor because he needs your help. She needs your help. They need to understand 
this process better. They need to do better. And I, I tell my, my general contractor friends, my perfect client is someone who, who's a subcontractor who works for you or a general contractor who's on a smaller scale who you really like. You really like these people. You really enjoy their company. They're good people. And they just don't quite get it. They don't mm. quite understand everything that they need to understand to be the superstars that they can. And that's, that's the help that I provide is taking those people who are good people, they're deserving people, they're people who, who are worthy of help, and taking them to the next level um, in order to provide better service for their clients. So, so Jason, let's get a kind of a feel of there's a lot of different contractors who listen to this podcast. There are the contractors who are working by themselves, and there are contractors that have, say, three employees. You know, I call them the dog and pickup truck, working alone, good people, the salt of the earth. They have three employees, and the professional contractors have between, say, four and 20, in that range somewhere, and the enterprise contractor is over 100 employees. So just kind of getting a feel on that, those different ways of uh, looking at the persona. What group of contractors do you work with and do you enjoy? I, I think <clears throat> the most important part, or, or I think my best client, mm -hmm. it, it really has little to do with size of the company. It really, okay. it really doesn't come down to, to what is the size of the company. It really comes down to, are they ready for change? Because I have active clients right now. I have um, I, uh, contractors who fit in all of those categories, clients who fit mm -hmm. in all of those categories. I have uh, single contractors with a dog, just like you're talking about, and they perform their trade, and I'm providing them coaching services to get up to the next level to start hiring, to start understanding the process of how that business needs to operate, how they need to start working on the business and not working in the business. Right. I have clients who, who fit the second category. They're, they're the, the one owner and, and three employees and salt of the earth, like you're talking about. I, I know these people. These are many of the people that I grew up with. These are many of the people that that um, really need that help. And oftentimes, those folks, depending on where they are in their trajectory, can have a really difficult time acknowledging that, that they need help or that they're, they're ready for help. But I really right. enjoy working with those people. And the scale of service that I provide, it, it varies by, by size of company. And we'll talk about sure. that in one second. And then your third category, uh, these are people who, who – they're great people. They understand business well enough to have gotten to this level, up to 20 employees. I would say the vast majority of my clients fit into this category, um, mm -hmm. between, between the second and third category. Okay. But that third category, what they often really want is they want to be able to grow into the enterprise size business, and they want to gain the benefits that, that they, they can from having an enterprise-sized business, namely retirement, mm -hmm. namely, namely what is their exit strategy? They want to be right. able to sell. They want to be able to, to pass it on to a family member or, or sell it to the employees. 
the piece that those folks are most often missing are the full-scale processes, the full-scale ah, processes and training that are sure. integral to running a well-oiled machine. And the fourth category, enterprise, I have a handful of these clients as well. I just performed a, a day-long training session yesterday for one. Uh, mm-hmm. They have 300 employees, and they are rolling out my training sessions throughout their, their business. Um, the the important part there is that the types of service I provide for those folks, it's it's completely different than the type of mm. service that I provide for the the single contractor with the dog. Right. But I but I think that's the the real question is I'm capable and willing and ready to provide support and services for all four types of business. But what changes between those is the scope. The scope of the business, the, the scope of the service that I provide will be distinctly different for the, the class one, class two, class three, and class four contractors. In, in many cases, there are a handful of overlaps, but not many. Um, I, I think the, the most important part is that I come into any business, regardless of size or structure, and mm-hmm. perform a full-scale review, understand where the business is, and understand where the business wants to go and roll out the process system and plan to get you there. This has been excellent, Jason. Um, I was going to ask you, how can you tell if someone's a good fit for your company? But I think you just answered it, which is fantastic. Right. So can I ask you, what types of advice would you like to give a contractor listening to this podcast right now that can help them make some immediate changes in their business? Well, I think, a good first stop would be to to go take a look at my website. Um, it's what is your website? Yep, arcadeconsultants.com. And also take a look at my, my LinkedIn profile. Uh, we'll provide a link for that. And start to understand a little bit better of how my process works and the types of, of various types of services that I offer. Mm. The The advice that I would give to, to a contractor is that we need to understand that we're all imperfect and we all have room to improve. We have different, dif- differing needs of, of improvement and oftentimes that need will be critical in nature or passive in nature and many times the passive in nature uh, creates a larger problem over time because we continually mm-hmm. don't address it. Right. So, so the the um, types of, of services that I provide are namely full scale business consulting, and in going to to my website, you can read more about these things. But in that process, I'll provide a full scale review of your business, and this survey will be something like you've never seen before or really thought about before inside of your business. You can hire an IT consultant, and an IT consultant will come in and review your IT practice. You can hire a marketing consultant. You can hire a legal consultant. You can hire 15 people to come in and give you individual and often conflicting views about the health and well-being of your business. That's true. The first first step for me in my process is to identify – every single piece, every single problem that I see 
inside the business. Most often, even, even when we get to the class three businesses, these are businesses that have most often been built up like a farmhouse. And in that farmhouse, farmhouse I'm sorry. Can you elaborate on that? Absolutely. Built like a farmhouse? Yeah, built like a farmhouse. And I think a lot of folks can, can identify with this. So I go out and I start a business. This is analogous to a farmhouse where um, my wife and I buy a house and it has a single bedroom and we have a baby and we build a room. Uh, and then we have another baby and we build a room. And grandma comes and stays with us and we build another room. And then there's the third oops baby and we build another room off the back. Mm. This is the way that most people build their businesses. It's just by necessity alone. And sure. if we were to actually stand back and look at that farmhouse and understood the needs that we were going to have on day one, we never would have built it that way. Right. We, we would have come up with a completely different plan. We would have come up with a completely different layout and, and process and structure so that we could plan for the future. And in that full-scale business consulting service that I provide, I help you understand and reimagine what your farmhouse should look like. I help mm. you understand the way that it's built is not necessarily the best way for it to operate. And this doesn't mean that it's going to be a complete upset and a complete disruption. We're not necessarily trashing everything. And in most cases, we're not. But what sure. we're doing is we're repurposing, we're reusing, we're reallocating many of the things that aren't working as well as they can. In that, in that capacity, I'll review every single policy that you have on file for human resources. I'll review your safety documentation. I'll make sure that you're in compliance with your law, your, your safety laws. Uh, mm -hmm. I can I review all of your contracts and provide um, input, insight, uh, and, and full-scale review and development of your, your legal documents. Um, I provide marketing input. I perform an IT review of your current processes and systems. Mm -hmm. I review uh, your, your data security. Everything under the sun that touches your business, I review your search engine optimization and also touch on things like what is the morale of the company? What is the sure. internal temperature of the company? How about, here's, here's a big one. Do your employees know what their job is? Ah. Right? Do your yes. employees know what their job is? So often I'll go in and ask the, the boss or my client, who is, do your people know what their jobs are? Yes, of course they know what they are. Okay. <laughs> and then I'll go to the employee. Do you know what your job is? I think I know what my job is. Uh-huh. Do you have a job description? Well, no, or yes, but it looks more like a job posting. Does your job description <laughs> have goals attached to it? Well, no, but that would be good. And so I'll go through the process of drafting organizational charts, not just for this year, but for the next five years. I'll go mm, through the process right. of drafting job descriptions for each and every position as it changes over time and help sure. identify holes in the organization. What do we need to train to? Who do we need to hire? And when do we need to hire them? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> when I typically issue those job descriptions to the employees, I'll review it with, with my clients, and then I'll sit down with the employees and roll out the job descriptions. Do you know what percent 
that they're actively performing, typically, percent of their job that they're performing? Is that a question? It is a question. Oh, I would say probably, I'm going to take a wild guess and say half. They're actively performing, on average, 25% of their job description. Wow. Actively performing. They're mm. aware, aware of 50% of their job description, but okay. don't have don't have the tools and training to actually perform those things. Sure. That leaves the remaining 50% of their job description as items that they weren't even aware of that they were supposed to be doing. You know, that sounds about right. It really does. It's spooky. It's really it scary. Is. And mm -hmm. when I go back to, to my client and share this information, they're shocked. And then they kind of come to terms and say, yeah, you're probably right. But the most important thing is that that employee then has a roadmap. He, not only mm -hmm. does he understand what he's expected to do or she understands what she's expected to do, but mm -hmm. I, as a common practice, will give them their boss's job description as well. Mm. The, the benefit of this is that if you have interest in, in promoting, you need to understand what are the responsibilities that you'll need to master in order to take on that position. So it gives them a clear roadmap of how to get from point A to point B. Sure. So that's, well, that's kind of a snapshot of the, the full-scale business consulting. I like it. training piece is I provide full-scale training solutions for, for a number of different processes, a number of different pieces. I perform leadership training. I perform software training. One of the, the interesting pieces, I, I just rolled out my on-point time management system, and uh, this is performed through Outlook. Mm -hmm. Outlook is something that, that we use on a daily basis, Outlook email program. Um, True. But virtually no one has actually been trained on it. We're, we're sat down and we, we're given a computer and we, we're just expected to do email. But on average, most people are, are distracted every three minutes, it's three and change. We're distracted every three minutes. And the way that we set up and utilize these pieces of software is a big piece of that. So I'll come in and provide training to, to your organization for all of those weaknesses, all of those areas where I detect that training is required. Mm -hmm. The interesting part about that is I have a, a property management company that I'm doing work for. They have been using the same property management software for the last eight years, but uh -oh. don't really, they don't really know how to use it. Hmm. So they're, they're paying me to come in and learn their property management software and train it back to them. Yeah, okay. For the That's reason that, that, that so often the trainers who are provided with the software aren't good instructors. Uh, it doesn't mean it's across the board, but, but that's a frequent, um, frequent situation. Yeah, that's so very true. I provide training for communication, for company culture. I provide team building sessions that, that we have a, a number of different options there to whether we're talking about building morale or building culture or attempting to increase retention, um, whether we're talking about actually teaming for, for project use. There are a number of different opportunities in training there. And the last piece is, is dispute resolution. This is something that is critically important 
to the contracting community. There are a number of different ways that we can work to prevent the, the conflict or prevent the dispute, and I provide that instruction as well. But when those methods haven't worked, or when, let's say, they haven't used those methods, that's more common, mm -hmm. you have two people who are, are not seeing eye to eye, whether we're talking about uh, contractor and subcontractor or contractor and owner or company and employee. There are a whole list of relationships that I can come in and mend. Uh, I am working with one company who they're, they're uh, performing some legacy planning. And the, the comment from the father is, I just wish my son would commit to the company. I just wish my son would understand what it is that he's supposed to do. Really? We go through, oh, it's, it's huge. And, and many times I find myself providing counseling service in, in dispute capacity. And so I roll out a performance appraisal process, and I'm a big believer in performance appraisals. That, that's really a whole separate conversation, but a successful performance appraisal process will be transformative in, in your business. It will di differentiate you from the entirety of your competition, and it will turn your business into the business that people want to work for. Sure. So we rolled out the performance appraisal process. And it involved the, the son and the father having a performance review. After that process, because we set that process up so carefully and so well, I spoke with the son afterwards and I said, so how did it go? How, what was your takeaway and, and did it provide value? And he said, it was great. It was, it was transformative, um, to be honest. And he, he had a little bit of gears in his eyes. He said, I wish we would have had that conversation three years ago. That's powerful. So that that type of dispute resolution, it doesn't necessarily mean that that I'm in a courtroom or that we're doing a formal dispute resolution. Mm -hmm. It means that on every level I'm providing that resolution. And the interesting part about the, the courtroom piece is I provide the, the lens and the experience that I bring to the table. In many cases, I provide a better, more appropriate service, more valuable service to contractors in resolving their contractual disputes than an attorney would. That's a powerful statement. So that's that's something that uh, I think contractors should should pay attention to, that they need to to ensure that their business is moving in the direction that they want it to, that all of their people actually understand their job and they have the tools and resources and training to actually perform their job uninterrupted and without unnecessary distraction and that contractors move to have the correct conversations at the right time to prevent disputes and when we we experience disputes we move to proactively uh, dissolve those disputes cleanly oh i couldn't agree more yes Absolutely. A lot cleaner and a lot cheaper and a lot better to resolve them. That's right. Outside. Yeah. And, and with disputes so often, um, comment on the side is that people just get their emotions wrapped into it. And they right. don't 
understand the dollar signs that they're burning um, out of principle. Mm-hmm. Are you, are you suggesting a, a phrase I've used many times? We can either be right or be rich. Pick one. <laughs> that's that's a good uh, a good dichotomy there. Yeah, that's a Randallism. There you go. Well, at Jason, in closing, can you tell us how the listeners can contact you? And as a quick caveat on the side note, we will be putting up an article on our blog and with all the hot links to your website and whatnot. But for those listening. Can you tell us how they can uh, contact you? And I'd like you, this is going to sound unusual, but again, people are listening to this, they're driving down the road, need you to spell out, uh, tell us your website and then spell it out carefully. And if you would please, uh, how we can, how they can contact you by email and then very distinctly and carefully and slowly, slower than what we usually do, is give us your phone number, your direct phone number that people can contact you at that you would like to have them do that for. Sure thing. So, interested folks who who are interested in my services can go to my website at www.arcadeconsultants.com. That's A R C A D E C O N S U L T A N T S dot com, and my email address is Jason at arcadeconsultants.com, J-A-S-O-N at A-R-C-A-D-E-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-A-N-T-S.com. And anyone can feel free to give me a call, even if you have a question about something. I've got an issue, I've got a, a problem that I'd like some help with or a second input. Um, my, my direct line is 425 2694886 and you can also check me out on LinkedIn well that's very very powerful so yeah we'll be um, together and we're going to hot link all that information um, sure. for people to get all of you well Jason this has been thoroughly enjoyable I really appreciate your time and uh, I encourage contractors listening to this podcast to um, at least, if you did nothing else, go to Jason's website, take a look. I've been looking at it. It's fantastic. Jason, good guy. Get on the phone, chat with him a little bit. It's absolutely worth your time. No question about it. And from that point forward, the people that feel it's appropriate, I encourage you to engage Jason's services. Well, Jason, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Thanks for coming on, on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate your time and hope this has been helpful to all the folks out there. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Jason. Bye for now. Bye. Take care. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on how to turn your contracting company into a process-dependent cash cow. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to the Contractor Success Map. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a five-star rating and review here on iTunes. And make sure to head over to www.contractorsuccessmap.com to subscribe to receive the latest articles and special offers. If you'd like to discuss your business strategy, simply click on the button labeled Strategy Session. And the best part, it's all free, just for you.